Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. Though you may not realize that the ongoing threat of terrorism is affecting your life and that of your loved ones. Each week, Dr. Carroll analyzes the hottest topics in terror and helps you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. Fake news or terrorism, which is worse? Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, a psychiatrist and your terrorist therapist. Yes, which is worse, fake news or terrorism? Well, according to a new Pew Research study, more people are worried about fake news than terrorism. Of course, that's because the fake news reports very little, not enough, about what's going on in the world of terror all around the, our world. And a good, um, also, I, I think it would have been a different result if they would have measured people's reactions after um, the recent uh, incident in Times Square, or almost in Times Square. A plot was just foiled today of a terrorist, a, a lone wolf, wanting to blow up Times Square. But before I get to that, let me tell you about the Pew Research. So um, they found that 68% of people think that fake news greatly affects America's confidence in government. 54% say that fake news has a major impact on Americans' confidence in each other. And 50% say that it's a very big problem for the country. Now, I totally agree that fake news is a huge, huge problem, but they only the people who they, uh, who they researched, only 34% said that terrorism was a very big problem for the country. Now, <laughs> this is because most of America is in denial. And it's only when there are things like what just happened in Times Square, where a plot was foiled, that people go, oh, oh, yeah, wait a second, um, this could happen. There are still people who are plotting these kinds of things. Now, um, also in terms of the Pew research, 38% uh, said that illegal immigration was a very big problem. 40% said racism was a very big problem, and 26% said um, sexism was a very big problem. Now, um, the uh, again, this is all because, you know, fake news, see, it, it, it's all about timing, for one thing. Can you imagine if they took this uh, test, did this research, where right after... Um, the uh, the Pulse nightclub terror attack, for example, in Florida, or the Boston Marathon bombing, or the San Bernardino uh, terror attack. You know, then, of course, it's in the news and more people are thinking about it, thinking about terrorism. But the problem is um, that uh, there are, as we speak, as I speak and you listen, there are things going on all over the world. And I'm not just talking about the Middle East, of course, but I'm talking about uh, New York, Germany, Israel, um, Europe. Um, there, I'm going to be talking to you today about things happening in these places, but there are things happening all over. And because the fake news doesn't report the details of all these things, um, we think, Fake news is more important, which I guess is a is kind of circular 
in itself, because that's the, the problem is that fake news isn't reporting these things. Okay, let's talk about um, what happened in New York. Uh, a plot was just foiled of a lone wolf who wanted to blow up Times Square. Times Square, of course, as you know, is a, a prime location for terrorists. ISIS puts out lots of propaganda trying to get people to blow up Times Square, especially for New Year's Eve. I've done previous podcasts about this, uh, about how they were trying to get people to blow it up on New Year's Eve. And um, so a man was just arrested. Now, as of the time, as of right now, the media hasn't given out the man's name. Um, and you can bet <laughs> that that is be whenever that happens, that is typically because the man's name is makes um, one think that he's Muslim and it is politically incorrect to, um, you know, to uh, to blame Muslims for terrorism. And yes, not all Muslims are terrorists, uh, and, and, uh, but all terrorists are radical Islamists, at least, which are people who have misinterpreted and chosen peace, uh, places, portions of the Quran for their interests to get people to become terrorists. The best that is being said so far about him is that he's a lone wolf from Queens. The New York Post at least said, found out that he was from Queens, which is another reason why I think it is likely that he um, has uh, comes from um, a, uh, is an immigrant from a Middle Eastern country. Uh, because now, now that's what a lot of immigrants live in Queens. <laughs> um, okay. So the, the way that they discovered him is the um, Joint uh, Terrorism Task Force, which includes the FBI and NYPD, found out that this man was expressing interest in buying grenades, firearms without serial numbers, other kinds of explosives, and a suicide vest. And he um, wanted to detonate these explosives in Times Square. Um, he previously had talked about killing po the police and government officials in New York City and D.C., but then he decided to go with blowing up Times Square. Um, he's been under surveillance for a while, and they finally caught him because of an undercover sting when he went to buy these weapons. So we will see who this man turns out to be, and you will have heard it first here. <laughs> Uh, oh, and by the way, yes, he, he was serious about this. He um, had taken video of Times Square to be able to make his plans for how he was going to do this. Okay, meanwhile, let's uh, turn to Germany. Um, you may by now have heard about certainly the Times Square plot, I would hope, um, but, but it's, not, it's not definite um, that you would have heard of it. Um, and I doubt, however, that you heard about what was happening in Germany, where a um, Tunisian man and a German woman, uh, married couple, uh, are currently on trial in regard to a plot to use ricin, which is a deadly poison, um, in Germany. This would have been their first uh, biological attack. They wanted to make a, a biological bomb. And fortunately, this was foiled. 
Um, these are two people who identified with ISIS. They were already radicalized when they met in 2014. They met online and uh, married in 2015. The husband uh, is named CF Allah H. He's a street vendor. He was a street vendor and laborer in Tunisia. He then came to Germany. Um, and he was, he's been in contact with radical Islamists. He tried twice in 20, 2017 to go to Syria via Turkey, but these attempts failed. Um, his wife, Yasmin H., they're not giving the last names, uh, was an unemployed doctor's assistant and a mother of seven children from four different fathers. This marriage was made in heaven. <laughs> Um, anyhow, uh, they were, they were discovered, um, well, first of all, they wanted to make an attack where they could kill the largest number of people. So they wanted to make a bomb that had, um, ricin and steel balls. And, um, they had bought almost all of the components that they needed. The way they discovered them, they found, um, ricin in, well, they obviously must have gotten, oh, well, the way that they discovered them is because they had ordered 3,300 castor beans over the internet, and they made ricin from it. This is 6,000 times more powerful, more deadly than cyanide, and they kill if they're swallowed or inhaled or inject, injected. Ricin kills that way. Very on very small quantities. If you swallow it, inhale it, or inject it, uh, you can die with very, very small quantities. And um, they, so the CIA, when the CIA discovered that they had bought all these castor beans, that's a big red flag because you make ricin from castor beans. So they told the German authorities, and the German authorities uh, found ricin in the apartment of this couple. At, along with 250 metal balls, two bottles of nail polish remover, and wires soldered on, soldered on light bulbs. So these were all the components that they were gathering together to make this bomb, which again would have been the first biological bomb attack in Germany. Now, if you think this is only something that could happen in Germany and that it would be foiled in any case if it tried to happen here, uh, think again. It, you know, all these times that people get caught, like Times Square and like this case in Germany, that is, you know, thanks to the CIA and the terror, counterterrorism force and, and all of these people who are working every day to try to prevent terror attacks. But it only takes one to get through that could kill thousands and thousands of people. Well, stay tuned. I will be, tell you more about uh, terrorism around the world that we don't hear about in the fake news. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show. Um, I am talking to you today about fake news or terrorism, which is worse. And indeed, as I was uh, saying, fake news, <laughs> one of the problems with fake news is that it hides um, what is going on in the world of terror today. And so I am informing you, <laughs> this isn't fake news. Um, I, we were talking about the uh, plot that was foiled to uh, set off explosives in Times Square. 
And then I just talked to you about the almost biological bomb attack in um, Germany. And, um, uh, you know, which was so barely um, caught. I mean, if the CIA hadn't noticed that um, this couple, a 30-year-old man, a 43-year-old, a 30-year-old Tunisian man, a 43-year-old German woman who were married, if, I, if the CIA hadn't noticed that they ordered a huge quantity of castor beans, which of course is, is a red flag because people make ricin from castor beans, and I told Germany, who then found all these components of the explosive uh, in their apartment, then they wouldn't be in court today. <laughs> instead, instead, you probably would have heard, maybe, maybe you would have heard the news, uh, fake news and real news about this biological bomb in Germany. That, that might have been something that got into every news outlet. Okay, let me give you an example of something else that's going on in the world that you may not have heard about in the fake news. Um, uh, in Israel, there is a, Arabs have found a new way of perpetrating terror in Israel. Uh, they are arson terror attacks. These began in November 2016. Now, have you heard about them? Think about this for a minute. They, this whole um, rampage of arson terror attacks in Israel have been going on since November 2016. Um, almost, so two and a half years ago. And how often has that been in the news? There have been so far 1,773 fires set by arson. Well, most of them, I'll, I'll give you another percentage, but most of them have been set. The ones that have been investigated, um, the majority has been arson. Now, the media have been saying that um, have been blaming this on the high heat, the, you know, the, the temperature in the region, high heat. But the problem is <laughs> that no other countries in the Middle East near Israel have had these, this same kind of wave of fires. So if the high heat does not just stop at the borders of Israel. So if it was due to the high heat, now there may have been some of them, certainly, I mean, we know, for example, in California, when there's high heat, um, that is, um, there's, there's a fire danger, um, but, that, but that doesn't mean that all the fires in California or in Israel are due to the high heat. That just makes it more, um, it's, it kind of sets the scene to make it more, uh, make the place more vulnerable to fire. In any case, um, families have been left homeless, animals have died, thousands of acres have been destroyed, and then um, when there is an investigation, they find that most of them are arson. Like for example, in Haifa in Israel, uh, there were 527 apartments that were destroyed, which left 1,600 people homeless, 75,000 people were evacuated. And of the 80 fires in Haifa that were checked, 71 were arson. And in general, you know, of these 1,773 fires in Israel since November 2016, all of the villages that were burnt were Jewish, and all of the people arrested or prosecuted were Arabs. Now, I know, I know what you're thinking. <laughs> um, you could be thinking, well, 
you know, just because they prosecuted Arabs, it's it's a bias, it's it's um, it's prejudice, it's pers persecution. But um, you know, clearly, um, the they know the world is watching, and clearly, they and just in general, this the justice system in Israel is um, very good, and um, they would not have arrested or prosecuted anyone unless they had evidence that they were the perpetrators of these arson fires. So ask yourself, have you heard of any of these, the, these arson fires in Israel, the ricin um, almost um, terror attack, the, the, the just foil terror attack in Germany? Um, you know, the, all these things, why aren't we hearing this in the news? Um, you know, there could be a thought that, um, well, one, one excuse would be that we don't want people, we don't want to panic people, we don't want to create mass hysteria. But um, it is really important to, that we all are aware of all these things so that we can plan our lives uh, appropriately. Like, um, you know, instead of being in denial and thinking only 34% thinking that, uh, that terrorism isn't, you know, is a, is a big problem, only 34% compared to people who are more concerned about fake news. And again, not making the connection that fake news hides terrorism. Okay, let's talk about something that is being done for uh, something else that's happening in the world of terror that you would think we would hear more about. Um, this is a, a, a relatively positive thing, so you would really think that uh, there, this would be more in the news, but it is has been hidden. Um, it's not the major fake news sources um, that talk about this. And what I'm talking about now is uh, the whole question and what is um, attempted to be done about it what do we do with ex-ISIS fighters now that the caliphate is dead? This is something that is, uh, was recently a topic of a, um, a meeting in Sweden um, where 11 European countries came together and met in Stockholm, Sweden to discuss what to do with ex-ISIS fighters now that uh, the caliphate is dead and a lot of these ex-fighters and their wives uh, and children want to come back to whatever countries they came from. And let me give you, before I talk more about this, let me give you the uh, numbers that we're, the, that we're talking about in regard to this. <clears throat> the, uh, the numbers are staggering as to how many people have come to the Middle East to join ISIS. In uh, 2018, you know, the, the last uh, year for which there are these numbers, they found that 41,490, 41,490 international citizens from 80 countries have come to join ISIS. And of these, so far, there are 7,366 who have returned to these countries that they came from or attempted to return. That's, that's a relatively small number, but um, for, you know, in part, it's because um, there are varying countries are, are uh, taking various stands as to whether they will allow 
um, people to return. And I'll tell you more about that. But just the, those numbers are staggering that there would be so many people who are willing to um, give up their life and go to the Middle East and join ISIS. I'll talk more about that in a bit. In 2016, um, in Europe, uh, there were, there were 4,000 citizens who left Europe to join ISIS. Now that number seems a little low. This is a number from Europol, uh, the, the study on this, the numbers were gathered by Europol. Um, 4,000, I mean, maybe it was, I guess, um, I guess just in that year, 4,000 left to join ISIS, but still it seems small compared to the total number of 41,000, over 41,000. In any case, um, these are some of the numbers. And of course, you know, Europeans have come before and after 2016 to join ISIS too. So it's not like, um, it's not like uh, this is just a snapshot of one year. So um, when we come back, I will talk about what was discussed at this conference in Sweden that just happened. And there's a lot of controversy about what to do with these ex-ISIS fighters. So stay tuned. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show, talking to you today about what is worse, fake news or terrorism. And then, of course, um, the caveat that part of fake news is that they don't report about terrorism enough about what's going on around the world and even, um, even things happening uh, in America, we have to, they keep us guessing. The man, for example, in Times Square, who they, they arrested um, already, and, um, and yet they are still trying to keep his name and his identity and his nationality um, a secret. And his picture, you know, they, they keep us guessing, which always means that it's going to turn out to be um, an ISIS terrorist. Well, we know he's sympathetic to ISIS already, but but um, someone from a Middle East country because uh, they think we're going to be prejudiced or that that's not politically correct to say where they come from. I give credit to the New York Post who at least said that he comes from Queens. We got that much. All right. Now, I was talking before the break about what is happening in um, Europe uh, to try to address the problem. What do we do with ex-ISIS fighters now that the caliphate is dead? Well, first of all, is there such a thing as an ex-ISIS fighter? Um, or, we, or are we just kidding ourselves? Once an ISIS fighter, always an ISIS fighter, at least for most, if not all, of these ISIS fighters. Uh, that is, of course, one of the big problems. Uh, rehabilitation efforts have not been terribly successful. But these people, you know, um, that we're talking about, these ex, ex, <laughs> questionably ex-ISIS fighters, have already drunk the Kool-Aid. <laughs> they believe in the 72 virgins. They believe in martyrdom. They believe that um, they are doing what the Quran says, although this is a um, somewhat of a twisted interpretation of the Quran. <clears throat> or taking things out of context. Still, there are people who say that, in fact, that is literally what it says in the Quran. I'll leave that for another time. But in any case, these are people who have already risked their lives for jihad. Uh, some even came from other countries. And I was, as I was just telling you, 
there are 41,490 international citizens in the Middle East from 80 countries who have joined ISIS. They came to the Middle East to join ISIS. So this is a huge number of people who have given up their lives from their home country and risked their lives for jihad. Um, and so are they really going to give up what they have believed in, um, some for a very long time, some um, perhaps not for as long, but certainly strongly enough um, to come there. And some, of course, were from these Middle East countries to begin with. So, um, of course, the ones that, were, that they are talking about or talked about in this meeting that was just held in Stockholm are the ones who came from 11 European countries. Well, came from European countries and 11 of them came to this meeting to discuss what to do with them. They created um, a, they, they were discussing creating a tribunal to prosecute ISIS state fighters, Islamic state fighters. And the people who came, came from Sweden, Norway, Finland, Denmark, Austria, Germany, Belgium, the Netherlands, France, Switzerland, and the UK. So um, now there is a history of having uh, tribunals to deal with people who have committed crimes against humanity. The UN, um, the UN Security Council formed these tribunals in the past. For example, the International Criminal Tribunal for the former Yugoslavia and the International Criminal Tribunal for Rwanda. So there is a history of the UN trying to, um, or having actually set up tribunals in the past. But Russia is blocking resolutions to, in the UN, to prosecute ISIS, uh, blocking resolutions to set up tribunals to prosecute ISIS. So that is why these countries, European countries, took it upon themselves to um, meet and discuss what are we going to do with these ex-ISIS fighters who want to come back home. Now, there's a lot of controversy about this, um, about you know, what to do. Uh, for some countries, they're committing a crime in a foreign country isn't illegal in their home country. So for some countries, uh, for these people who went to a foreign country and committed a crime, according to the home country's laws, it wasn't illegal to do that. Now, of course, they are um, rethinking that at the time that uh, those laws were made, that it wasn't illegal, um, you know, or that laws weren't made to find it illegal. Um, there wasn't this kind of um, rampage of terrorism. So they are now, some of the countries are now rethinking this. In Sweden, for example, um, there was, uh, it used to be that supporting a terrorist organization wasn't a crime. So, um, so there really wasn't a way to prosecute the, the returning fighters. 
But now, according to some reports, now they have changed this, changed the situation. So there is a law that allows them to prosecute people who have supported terror organizations, or, or according to other reports, they're considering it. Um, so, and Sweden held, Sweden is where this uh, meeting was held to consider forming a tribunal. So they are very actively trying to do something. And that's because Sweden has been the, um, place of some terror attacks. Uh, the Netherlands, their rule, what they do, they have tried fighters in absentia, fighters who have gone over to fight for ISIS. And so these people who have gone over will be jailed if they return to the Netherlands. That's their policy. Now, Iraq um, are prosecuting ISIS um, members who, um, people who have come over to join ISIS, for example, uh, they just sentenced eight French citizens to death because uh, the death penalty is allowed in Iraq. Surprise, surprise. Um, now, and there are, according to some reports, there are hundreds. According to other reports, there are thousands of these fighters in jail in Iraq. So there are potentially going to be many more deaths um, in Iraq. But now in Europe, the um, death penalty is forbidden in European countries. So they, um, you know, they don't want to leave their citizens there to be put to death in Iraq. But then again, um, you know, they don't really want to bring them back because, of course, they're going to continue to perpetrate terror attacks in their home country. Um, we have seen that already in France. Now, you know, going back to that huge number of 41,490 international citizens from 80 countries who have gone to um, the Middle East to join ISIS, that staggering number, it reminds me of um, what Henry David Thoreau wrote in Walden. He wrote, quote, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. And then of course it was added and die with their song still inside them, which is a very kind of um, sad thought. The mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. So these would be the men who would be coming over to join ISIS uh, in my opinion because obviously the lives they were leading in their own home countries um, were making them feel desperate. And they wanted to try to um, find a better purpose, a more meaningful life. Um, not all, you know, yes, did some of them drink the Kool-Aid and believe in uh, the propaganda, of course, that goes out over the internet that ISIS puts out? Yes, of course. Um, but it's not all because of religious reasons. And um, in any case, the people who, who fall for this propaganda and come to join ISIS um, are people who are vulnerable because they are living lives of quiet desperation unhappy, uh, desperate, they, they're willing to throw their lives, they're so desperate that they're willing to throw their lives away by um, doing something that they are hoping will give them a purpose and more excitement and some reason to be alive, some meaning to their lives.
I mean, that is really sad. So in a way, what is the cure for terrorism besides, you know, catching all these terrorists before they set off bombs in Times Square? The um, ideal solution would be to um, make people change the way the world is so that there are fewer people leading lives of quiet desperation. Well, thank you for listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. If you would like to find out more about terrorism from me, your terrorist therapist, visit my website, terroristtherapist.com. And if you're a parent or teacher and want to build stronger nests for your kids to become more resilient, check out my new award-winning book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. It's the first and only book about terrorism for kids. You can find it wherever books are sold or directly from the publisher at terrorismforkids.com. Terrorism, the number four, kids.com. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. Thank you for listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. We hope listening to the show has made you feel calmer, more resilient, and more able to reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. You can also check out past shows on Renegade Talk Archives for more insights.